This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. How are you doing? Very good, mate. How are you? Very good, thanks. Let's start with the latest from the markets and shares across the world down with the prospect of a Russian attack on Ukraine still worrying markets. Those concerns seem to have uh, quashed demand for riskier assets, uh, Craig, which has in turn boosted the dollar. Bitcoin is down as well. Oil initially rose, but has gone back a bit today. So what is happening? Yeah, it's just a big risk-off move, ultimately. There's so much um, concern and, uh, and uncertainty at the moment, and I think and that's really taken its toll, that uncertainty around what central banks are going to do, how they're going to respond to inflation, how bad inflation is going to get, how long it's going to last, and what action is going to be necessary in order to offset it and get it back under control. A lot has been priced in already, and we can see that that's taken its toll on uh, on the equity markets and on risk appetite, and in particular on the higher risk end of the spectrum. So looking at tech stocks and Bitcoin, as you've just mentioned as well. And today is just an extension of that move. It's worth noting that, yes, the, the stuff uh, with uh, the Ukraine, Russia, I think is is compounding that kind of anxiety that we're seeing right now um but we are now in a week where we've got some major tech earnings netflix got us underway last week which we discussed on friday in the podcast and that was a really poor start to the earning season as far as tech is concerned and we've got many more this week including apple and others so there's going to be a very sharp focus on there to see if there's any other lingering signs that a lot of these companies that did extraordinarily well during the pandemic was this a leap forward or was it a blip? And um, I think that's going to be the focal point now because what's been priced into the markets is a leap forward. So that, a big adjustment may be necessary um, if that's not the case or if that's not even almost uh, the case. So I think there's going to be a big focus on that and maybe that's feeding into some of that anxiety that we're seeing at the start of the week. And then we've got the Fed on Wednesday as well and I don't need to go into too much detail about why that's such a big deal, especially at this moment in time. A lot's been priced into these markets. There's been a lot of speculation about whether it's enough and whether Jamie Dimon is right in saying that he thinks there could be five, six, seven rate hikes this year. Is the speculation true that we could see a 50 basis point rate hike in March rather than 25 basis point one to kick things off and get things underway and really show that the Fed is being assertive and addressing this issue and taking it very seriously? That would be the first 50, 50 basis point rate hike in more than 20 years. And the last time that happened, it was at a very different part of the tightening cycle. It was when interest rates were 5 6 7%. So it's a very different story. So there's a lot of uncertainty going into this week. And as I say... The, the situation on the UK and Russia border does just kind of compound fears, uh, a, a range of fears that have already existed in the markets and are taking a heavy toll. Plenty to mull over from uh, that opening uh, from you there. And going back to Ukraine, Craig, I mean, if there was some sort of military action, let's hope there isn't, but if there was, can you imagine what that would do to the cost of energy, gas particularly, and in turn... The inflation numbers. You just talked about Jamie Dimon talking about five, six, seven interest rate rises. But can you imagine if inflation grew to, you know, maybe even eight, nine, ten percent? Who knows if there was a problem in Ukraine? Uh, we're looking at a recession, possibly, aren't we, in 23, 24, the way things are going? 
Russia does have a lot of leverage. When we talk about the natural gas shortage in Europe right now and the impact that that's having in terms of an energy crisis which is unfolding, we've been we've we've been okay to an extent so far. We've been quite fortunate. It's not been the coldest of winters, and I think that's probably helped uh, helped calm things down just a little bit. But we all know what's happening to energy prices in the coming months, so it's not done uh, it's not done an extraordinary amount but obviously Russia is also a massive oil producer and we're talking about a market that's already extremely in deficit right now so there's a lot of but a lot of buttons that could be pressed if this does escalate into something more significant whether that will actually happen or not is a different thing I don't think um, I don't think uh, an invasion at this point in counter sanctions from Europe NATO really as a whole I don't think that's going to trigger Russia to just cut off gas and cut off oil but it means that they're not going to be um, they're not going to be the friendliest um, of, uh, of, of, of people, of countries in that position. So it's certainly going to create an additional risk element to these markets, which will undoubtedly, you would have thought, have a big impact on oil and gas prices. Uh, and that's, that's, that's very problematic. I don't think central banks would react to that spike right now. We talk about the issue of supply chains and how that was initially looked at as transitory, but it's turned into second round effects and more inflation has appeared more broadly. I don't think at this stage we would see these changes in oil and gas prices um, because of geopolitical issues. I don't think we would see that um, feed into the Fed's interest rate expectations right now. Obviously, if that lasts one year, two years, three years, then that's a different story altogether. But um, yeah, right now it's just, uh, I guess, deeply concerning that things have got this far. And the fear is, would it be entirely surprising if the next step happens? No. Is it the most likely event? Still no. But um, we've seen these things uh, boil over before and uh, we've just got to hope that it doesn't happen again. Indeed. Worrying times. Uh, wherever you look, there's almost a perfect storm of bad news on the way. The Fed will announce tomorrow or will certainly signal a first interest rate hike since 2018, paving the way for probably a March move as it tries to sort of get down that big inflation number. What are you and the markets suggesting is going to happen tomorrow? So the markets are pricing in, well, no actual action from the Fed at this meeting, but a signal that March they're going to raise interest rates and that they'll be four this year. Uh, this isn't a meeting that comes with a dot plot or anything like that. So we don't have to concern ourselves with that so much. And the dot plot from December told us everything we really need to know. But it's not necessarily what the markets are pricing in at this point, it's what they're fearing. And that's fear is leading these markets so much. Fear about inflation, fear about interest rates. Some of this is justified because of what we've seen so far. Some of it may prove not to be. But time will tell on that front. And I mean, if we this week get a, a Federal Reserve that's very aligned to the market's thinking right now and sees very little chance of anything more significant, that could put investors' minds at ease. If we get some knockout earnings from big tech this week, that could start to put investors' minds at ease. If we don't see an escalation in Ukraine and uh, and we start to see some times of diplomacy working, that could give um, sentiment a big boost as well. And while I'm, I'm, I'm effectively saying if everything just gets better, things will improve, but these are all very feasible things that could happen over the course of this week. I imagine it won't all work out like that, but these are all very feasible things that could settle the nerves in the market somewhat. And we have to remember that the Federal Reserve is very aware of the, what's happening in the markets and what sentiment's like right now. So I can't imagine we're going to see a massive shock from that side. Um, but yeah, right now, fear, anxiety, all of that is very much driving these markets. And it's one of those situations where you do wonder 
with the situation with uh, the Ukraine, for example, in any other time, would that be having an, an impact on the markets like it is right now? Maybe not. But as you say, it's the perfect storm. This is happening at a time when energy prices are sky high, when the oil market is extremely tight, when sentiment is fragile. At a time of year when I feel like the markets are always vulnerable to these types of moves. We've seen many years where we've seen very negative Januaries um, and it hasn't unfolded into a very negative year. It does feel like we've got the January blues this year, but there's probably a lot more evidence to back up the fact that maybe it's not entirely incorrect for markets behaving that way. I can't remember a time since the global financial crisis way back when, when there are you know more worried people around and you know we just lived through a two-year pandemic and you know what we didn't realize at the time was actually these were financially speaking markets wise these were good times with the amount of money pumped into the system as you said earlier tech stocks continue their downward spiral i mean we should really call them pandemic stocks shouldn't we because it's not just tech that has done badly recently it's all those stocks that did well during this period, the COVID-19 period. And uh, interesting to see Bitcoin hit uh, more recent lows over the weekend. Yeah, the stay-at-home stocks, as they're being called, um, have had a really terrible time. That's a good one. Stay-at-home stocks. I wish I'd thought of that one. <laughs> and I'd love to take credit for it, but unfortunately, there's just something I read. Someone else has coined that one. But yeah, all the stay-at-home stocks have done uh, have really struggled um, recently. Netflix, like I mentioned that's late last week, it's fallen back to its pre-pandemic levels. Zoom has obviously had a torrid time of it as well. Peloton is in the headlines every day, although some of it, <laughs> it is verging on the obscene um the reasons why this company is making headlines from sex in the city onwards and it seems that um they're all having a really tough time of things right now so they're really getting hit and obviously they just a lot of these companies do fall under that tech category that did so well over the course of the last two years and then there's bitcoin bitcoin which i think it's safe to say now the debate for now is over it's a high-risk asset and it behaves like a high-risk asset it's not a safe haven it's not an inflation hedge it's none of these things it's a risk asset and that's absolutely fine for it to be a risk asset because that comes with the territory of what cryptocurrency is it's an it's an exciting industry and um, it behaves in such a way but now that's getting pummeled as well over the weekend it's come under some pressure it fell below forty thousand. As feared, once that level broke, it fell and it fell hard. And now today it's trading at 33,500 and it's still looking vulnerable. The next big test for Bitcoin is 30,000. That's been a really significant level for quite some time, even going back to when Elon Musk was jumping in at just the right time and saving it and triggering or being the catalyst for that next surge in Bitcoin. I think there's going to be a lot of it, a lot of interest around that 30,000 mark and it's going to be really interesting to see whether it can hold up because unlike last time, we're not now in a risk-on environment. We're not at a record high in markets. We're not at a time when the Fed is just pumping and pumping and pumping. Um, so there's not just liquidity everywhere. There is an enormous amount of liquidity sloshing around out there. There's twice as much, as we've mentioned before, as there was prior to the pandemic. The Fed's balance sheet has basically doubled in that time. So there is still an enormous amount of liquidity, but there isn't the risk appetite to match it. And... Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Bitcoin can hold up or whether a famous Elon Musk tweet um, can save the day again um, or whether maybe he's just shifted his attention to Dogecoin now, who knows. It's been a really rough period for Bitcoin and it doesn't yet at this point look like that's going to get any better. 
So we've mentioned the Fed as far as the week coming up is concerned. Earnings you've touched on as well. Here in the UK, it's not a, a hugely economic and market-driven subject at the moment, but all eyes will surely be on Prime Minister Boris Johnson and this report into Partygate, which is due, uh, we believe, in the next two or three days or so. I mean, is that going to have any effect on the markets? I can't see that it has so far. It's not really had much of an impact at all on the markets so far. And arguably, you should say it should. I can't imagine, under ordinary circumstances, a prime minister potentially being pushed out, brushed aside, is something that would get no reaction, but then these are extraordinary times, and the view seems to be that it doesn't change much. If 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 that happens, then it doesn't really change as far as the direction of the UK is concerned, and um, there's far more pressing things to be concerned about right now. So it hasn't really had much of an impact on the market. It is a big week for Boris Johnson. It looks like that Sue Gray report is finally going to be released. As I said on Friday, he looked far too confident at the dispatch box last week to hold the view that this is not going to be something he somehow manages to sidestep once again. He came out fighting. Uh, he looked like he had the backing um, of enough uh, people on the back benches. And um, it's hard to imagine that he's not going to live to see another day. But if he doesn't and the report is damning and he's either forced to resign or there is a vote uh, of no confidence within his own party. I don't think we'll have that big an impact on the currency. Famous last words, perhaps. Maybe the currency isn't reflecting that it doesn't matter. Maybe the currency is reflecting my first point, which is that it doesn't look like he is going to lose his job because of this. He's not going to go quietly, that's for sure. No, but um, if this report is damning, then it will be hard to come back from. But maybe the markets are pricing in the fact that Boris Johnson is Teflon and he survives things that other people would never survive and maybe this is just going to be the latest in the stream of them. Well one thing is the report can't say that he should resign that's not part of its remit so we'll wait and see. We're drawing to a close now Craig what else should we look out for for the rest of the next four or five days or so? Yeah I mean thankfully I think we've pretty much covered it I mean Russia, Ukraine, uh, earnings, Fed, Prime Minister's resigning. I think that's enough for one week. Um, there's, there's obviously data and things like that to keep an eye on throughout the week. But ultimately, when we're talking about the major events, those four are pretty significant ones to follow over the course of this week. Um, and I think that's where all the attention is going to be. OK, Craig, have a good day and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.